Hello, and welcome to Maine Education Matters. I'm Matt Drouette-Card. Thank you for joining us today. Um, for listening, I really appreciate you uh, downloading, listening, subscribing, etc. It's been a crazy time. We're not really sure exactly uh, how often these things are going to come out because <laughs> everything is everything is weird right now, and everything is just kind of up in the air, and everything is transition, and everything is ish. So we're going to be putting these out when we can. But today uh, we are going to begin a conversation that I hope will extend to a couple of different uh, episodes about curriculum, about bias in our educational systems, and how we can find it and what we can do with it. And to help join me and help spark and uh, jump this conversation off is Courtney Belolan, the Executive Director of the Maine Curriculum Leaders Association. How are you doing, Courtney? I am all right. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I agree. It is, we are all in the ish right now, and that's the best place to be. <laughs> yeah. I. I, I at first, I thought it was more like we're in the upside down. Mm, mm -hmm. But the more I realized, it's like, nope, it's not upside down. It's just ish. It's ish. Because everything is uncertain. And right. there's a whole lot of bad, but there's also a lot, a whole lot of opportunity. Yeah. Um, yes. I was recently reminded of a, uh, a quote from Winston Churchill that said, uh -huh. I believe it's a never pass up a good, a good good crisis or something like that. Never let a yes, good crisis go to waste. Never let a good crisis go to waste. Yeah. And exactly. it's so true. There's, there's a lot of things that we can do here. And well, we've in our country have had a couple of major crises. We'll get to that in a second. So talk to me first before we get into it about sure. um, MCLA, about your role and anything you've got um, in the pipeline coming up. In the pipeline. Yeah, we have a, a lot in the pipeline for MCLA this year. Um, some absolutely amazing opportunities that we're very proud of. Uh, so for those of you that don't know, MCLA is the Maine Curriculum Leaders Association, and we are the professional organization for anybody in the state of Maine who has a passion about curriculum. We have district administrators make up the majority of our membership. We also have um, building leaders, building administrators. We have teacher leaders. We have instructional coaches. Um, really anybody who has a passion for and an interest in curriculum and focusing on um, forwarding learner-centered practices. So like everybody else, we've had to ish it a little bit and redo, <laughs> redo everything, right? How we do everything. Um, so we are not offering any in-person events this year. I know a lot of people are used to MCLA hosting two conferences a year and lots of other smaller events. Um, we were moving away from that anyway and trying to figure out how to level the playing field for access in the state of Maine to yeah, that's an issue. learning. It's an issue because Maine is huge. And even if you hold something in Bangor, that still means some people have two, three hours to get to you and may not. So we were already working on that. And uh, kind of like that, don't let a good crisis go to waste. Uh, the pandemic really propelled us into full online learning. And so this year we have four strands that we've organized everything into. And um, I'm pretty confident these strands will continue for a few years because they're darn good strands. One strand is um, anti-racism and cultural responsiveness, which we'll talk a little bit about today. A second strand is project-based learning. A third strand is 
well-being for educators and leaders. So a, a more of a niche slant on social emotional learning on um, taking care of the adults and yourself in a district. And for those of us who are very tired and it's only like week three exactly. of the school year, uh, that's important. It's very important. It's very important. Um, it's easily skipped. It's easily it is. easy to go right to the learners, which are important. Um, but you all know the saying, you know, you've got to fill your cup first before you can help yourself before you can help anybody else. Right. Sure. Um, okay. And then another strand is uh, distance and digital learning. So each strand has several components. There is at least one long-term study group, which is an opportunity to dive deeper into a related uh, content or set of skills within that strand. So with a sometimes smaller group of people, um, mm -hmm. there are also individual synchronous events, webinars and the like that, um, sometimes are related to one another, but can be experienced kind of individually. So you don't have to commit long-term. And then we are also working on toolkits for each strand. So nice. kind of small pieces that people could take on themselves to guide their own professional learning if they'd rather do it that way. Um, or you may experience all of the professional learning we, we offer and still want the toolkit uh, to further your individual learn, learning even more. So that's, that's what's going on for NCLA. It's pretty exciting. Um, it's been very successful so far and I'm really proud of the board and members for bringing this idea together. Well, what it, let's look at those four general strands or threads or whatever, whichever you call them, I can't remember. Um, because again, like I said, I'm tired yeah. and my, my brain is not functioning at milk capacity, max capacity. Sure. Um, but those, those four, uh, strands, anti-racism, cultural responsiveness, project-based learning, well-being for uh, educators and for leaders, and then distance and digital learning. Mm -hmm. That's our life. Yes. That is literally our life right now. Yes. And um, they're all interconnected, but they all have their own individual um, needs, the individual uh, things to specific look at, look at, and that need individual attention, yes. even though they are all a little bit different. Oh, absolutely. For example, our um, distance learning study group, which is based on the distance learning playbook um, by Hattie et al., which is the hottest professional title in the world right now. Um, Can't imagine why. <laughs> I wonder why. The very first chapter and section and module kind of in that is all about self-care. So yep. uh, yeah, they absolutely overlap. Yeah, for, for, for this, I'm going to do a visual thing, which is great for an audio podcast, but what you, what, <laughs> what you can see behind me on my wall are actually some basic flow charts based on, that I'm using to create some stuff on digital, digital learning playbook about best practices for distance learning and then creating the effective conditions for learning, which is really when you get into the most of that entire book, that's what it does. It talks yes. about those very, very same things, um, yes. making it those effective conditions and then, well, then great, you've made the conditions, now what do you do? Now what, right. Yeah. So let's get into, we could talk distance learning. I know. <laughs> I could talk about that all, all day too, but I, I do also want to, with this pandemic, that has been one major cultural thing that has happened in our nation. We've also had another major cultural, as I've heard other folks say on the news or other places, like an awakening, uh, mm -hmm. a major cultural 
um, just need that has just become to the forefront. And that's in terms of things like anti-racism and uh, cultural responsiveness, cultural diversity, yes. inclusion, all these words that have been thrown around, uh, racism, bias, et cetera. And that's where, um, that's where, well, one of the things that I want to make sure we have a conversation about. And we start this, and I, that's why I wanted to bring you on, is, is because let's think about the education systems and let's think about curriculum. You know, not even necessarily thinking about instruction or other things like that, or not getting into how the SAT and assessment as mm -hmm. culturally biased and has these, mm -hmm. all these things embedded into it that are well known. Mm -hmm. But I really want to get into frame this conversation around three major questions. Okay. Three major themes. The first is, well, what exactly are we looking for? Yeah. You know, what questions should we, as the educational leaders, the educators in our classrooms, what should what questions should we be asking? Yeah. Because in a state that is not very culturally, racially diverse, it might yeah. feel awkward. It might feel strange. It might feel inappropriate to some to even ask some questions like that. Right. Not wanting to step on toes, not wanting to, wanting to be very uh, equity-based, want to be very equality-based, want to be very diversity-based, but what questions do we ask? Right. And let, let's, let's get that out there. Uh, the second is, all right, we've asked the questions. We know what we're looking for now. How do we know we've actually found it? Mm -hmm. How do we know we're there? The third question I want to wrap it up is, is, all right, we asked the questions, we know what we're looking for, we found it. Yeah. What do we do now? What do we do with you know it? What? Right. So let's start with the first. Um, what should we be asking? You know, um, I think there's a lot we should be asking. And um, I, think, I think the first thing I want to just state and put out there, right, Go. is that I myself, I am a white, middle-class, cisgendered, heterosexual woman. So right there, um, I have a lot of privilege that many other people don't. So I think that that's number one, what are we looking for? We have to look to ourselves. What is our kind of uh, profile, if you will, of privilege? Sure. Um, and I think that's really hard to do. So, and I think that that extends, so like understanding yourself as an individual, right? Kind of where your layers of privilege are, um, helps you to understand what you don't know, what your blind spots are. We all have them. Um, and it's not a matter of being a good person or a bad person. It's just a matter of it is. So that's I an important that's part. I want, I want to just, just, just hone in on for a second, because that's, that's something that I think goes along with everything that we're talking about when we're, when we're saying things like, all right, we have privilege. Right. As, as a heterosexual white male who went to private school, mm -hmm. I, I've had a, crap ton of privilege. I, yeah. I saw it in a lot of ways in terms of when I went to like high school and college where I knew kids who were, you know, dumber than a fence post, yeah. yet they were managing to get through because they had the financial means in order to do exactly. so. So there are, there are those other privileges. I've, I've, yeah. we, I've seen it in those ways. But then what it also makes, it, with that level of recognition comes that value and judgment. Yes. And it comes with a level of shame. Right. And I think part of what we have to start talking about and being open about is saying, one, it's not a, I had no control over that. I have no control right. over my race. I have no control right. over my gender. I have no control. I have no control over that. Right. So why should I feel ashamed for that? Why should I feel judgmental about or judge, 
be, right. is, is there a, to what extent is there a real value in that level of value or judgment in that level of recognition of privilege? Well, I, I think the value comes from what happens when you do recognize it and then you start recognizing where you benefit from that privilege and where others don't. Okay. Right. I don't think there's value in, in as far as like the good or bad. It's just, it just is. There is it just no, is. It just is, right? It's more about um, what you do with it than um, having it. Um, and if you, I think if people are feeling guilt about it, like that's okay, feel that. And then ask the question why. It's probably because you recognize that there are others who don't have the things you have. Um, so those are some of the yeah. questions to ask. Like, so yeah. when, when you identify that level of privilege, yeah. don't just let it stop there is what you're, exactly. is kind of what I'm hearing you say. It's that, all right, you've identified it. Great. Now you don't know what to do with it. So they just move on with your life. No, or find out what to do with it. <laughs> find out what to do with it. Find out what to do with it. All right. Yeah, so, so find out the, the perspectives of people that come from different privilege profiles, right? And sure. so, so this is so listeners might be like, okay, but what about like schools? And, and that's yeah, where I was going next. You know, we're having a larger conversation here, right? Like just like any, so racism is a systemic problem. So mm -hmm. just examining one piece won't fix it. Just saying, I'm only going to care about racism in schools won't fix it, right? You have to think much broader, which is why I brought up the whole like examining provision yourself first. When it comes to schools, I'm still learning some of the questions we should be asking. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not coming here as, as you know, an expert by any means on this. I'm someone along the Well, thank you very much, Courtney. It's been good talking to you. Uh, no, oh. Kidding. I'm oh. kidding. <laughs> So no, think, none, none, none of us are experts yeah, in this. Yeah, we're not. No, so I think some of the, the questions to start with and kind of so um, one of the, so I talked about how our, our strands have kind of webinars, right? So we're actually, I'm working with the Holocaust and Human Rights Center of Maine to, to offer three webinars around this very topic, around kind of like the, the picture of equity in Maine schools. And we're going to start off with the idea of an equity audit. So it's kind of leading you through the questions to ask, right? Some of the questions anyway. And one place to start that I think, I think kind of the first question is like, what is the picture? What is the picture of equity and privilege and access in my school, in my district, in my classroom? Um, I think that's one of the best places to start. And one way to get that picture is through data, right? Asking okay. questions of what is the socioeconomic profile of our schools and districts? What is the, um, the racial makeup of our student body and our community? And then juxtaposing that with what is the socioeconomic profile of our staff? What is the racial profile of our staff? What is, what are the, um, at the statistics for who is accessing gifted and talented? What are the statistics for um, what the racial and socioeconomic breakdown looks like for behavior 
referrals and data, special ed, AP classes, honors classes, like whatever, you know, digging into all those different levels of what a school offers after school participation, sports participation, mm -hmm. and really looking at the data along race, along socioeconomic status, definitely those two. You could add in others if you wanted. Um, sure. I think it's data to get. No, it's a, it's a, that's a, that is a perfect place to start looking at yeah. the data and looking at that level of converse, of, of questions of what are our real, what is our school really a profile looking at? So yeah. let's look at the data. A, a question I've been posing for a while now is for schools to look at is look at your top 10 or your mm -hmm. Val Sal's and to what extent of the last five, 10 years have your top 10 or your Val Sal's been on an IEP, right. been an English learner? Um, what has been, are, are they, uh, free reduced lunch? Yeah. What, what's their socioeconomic set? Where, how many? Yeah. And when you start digging into those data, I'm going to be, make a projection here and a complete conjecture, but I'll bet that those levels of quote unquote identifiers aren't going to be there. Uh, yeah, no, they're probably not. I think there's, there's enough longitudinal data yeah. in Maine that, backs that statement up. <laughs> and so I guess part of the question would be why? And then yes. that would be those. So why is this happening? Why, why is this here? Because this is part of the systemic yes. bias that exists right. in our schools that we might not necessarily think about. We see it every day. Mm -hmm. And yet, what do we do? Right. We, we see it, but we don't necessarily recognize it for what it is. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And I, and I also, I think the data, right, that's a great place to go because it's a little less um, personal, right? Sure. These, these conversations can get very personal. Um, there's a concept called white fragility, which, and there's a book called White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo that I recommend everyone reads. Um, as a starting place for understanding how to approach this work as a white person um, and kind of being ready for the pitfalls <laughs> that uh, many of us inevitably run into, not because we're bad people, because it just is. So then I think after looking at the data, I think then another question to ask is what has the experience of marginalized people been not only in my school and in my district or in my class but in Maine as a whole you know you said something very interesting right you said that Maine is not a very diverse state and I would push back and say Maine is an incredibly diverse state just depends where in Maine you are okay yeah what I, where I was coming from was that the the, yeah. the I was talking about more like racial, but anyway, you, I, yeah. I see where you're going. I, cause, cause you're absolutely right. There is, there is a tremendous amount of mm -hmm. a greater level of diversity beyond just the, you know, skin color or whatever's identified as, right. uh, as, as race based on whatever the census data is, Yeah. you know, there, there's so much more to it than that. Right. Um, I even think racially, but, I think it, you know, if you go if you, Portland and Lewiston, Auburn areas are very diverse. Sure. Um, but um, most of the state, a majority of the state, not so much. I think Southern Maine, more diverse, but as you go North and West and yep. uh, 
out east um, and more rural and rural, it's less and less diverse. Yeah, once you get out, once you start getting further, further away from the Augusta area and then uh, off the 95 corridor, then you see that it it kind of becomes a, for lack of a better term, this come in my head, a monoculture in a way. Um, Yeah. But even within that monoculture, there's going to be diversity. Mm-hmm. Which is there the entire workers up in Arista County. Sure, but it even yeah. gets into the whole idea of um, uh, heterogeneous versus homogeneous grouping yeah. in education. When we talk mm-hmm. about classrooms, um, and people will say, "Well, I need to bring, I need to get, I need to have all my the same like-minded or like-ability kids all in the same place at the same time." Well, hang on, there's still diversity within there. Mm-hmm. There's still levels of ability within that that are. That need to be personalized so the, the 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 difference in a in a homogeneous classroom setting versus a heterogeneous classroom setting you're you're if you're going from the perspective of diversity or you from the perspective of right. what's going to be easier to plan for because we're all on the same page that doesn't exist no yeah no <laughs> that, that's the folly yeah that's part of the folly yeah yeah so then, you know getting get asking kind of what has been the experience um having those conversations with people or inviting the community in to talk about it. Um, that's the, those are kind of the questions to ask. And even like, I even can think of like as simple as doing, you know, walkthroughs, but using a, um, you know, a cultural responsiveness lens. When I walk into the classroom, are all the pictures on the wall of important leaders, are they all old white men? Mm-hmm. Right. Are we only teaching, um, how often do we teach lessons that include um, people who are black, indigenous, or people of color? Is it just in February? Is it just in the <laughs> fall when we have, you know, right. the local nature center come in and do a Wabanaki studies? experience with our learners so i think those are you know the the, that first your first question could go on and on and on right (laughs) but but i think you know your next question how will we know when we found it i think as soon as you find something that makes you stop and say that doesn't feel right so we're walking around a uh, school and you see a classroom and it's got all 45 presidents pictures of yeah. all up all over the the as a border yep and so there, there's there's one black male there's no female that's the only pictures in the classroom mm-hmm. all right we see that we we recognize the fact that it's uh not represent representative of the majority of the world yeah and <laughs> but then we say yeah but these people are important Yes, they are. Other people are important too. So then the so question is, wh- wh- how should do we take we... these down? Right. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think well, those. That's kind of the next question, right? That's the what do we do? Okay. Do we take them was... down? Do we rotate? <laughs> do we? So yeah. So the first thing, like you were saying, let, let's let's identify our level of cultural inclusivity. And so you're walking around right. and, you, and you see this and then you say, all right, I'm noticing right now that all I'm seeing is white males on the walls. Yeah. And like you said, all right, that makes me 
a little bell go off in the back of my head that says there might be something here or more importantly, not here. Yeah. And so it's listening to that, that gut is, is do, do you find, is there any other more like, for lack of a term, quantitative or more objective ways than just relying on that gut instinct? Because there's a lot of variability that could happen there. Yeah, there is. I mean, I suppose, so this is an area where I'm like, you know what, I'm still, I'm definitely learning too. And I think this is a great question that I'm going to bring to some of my collaborators sure. um, and try to learn more about. I suppose you could um, look at the racial statistics of the United States of America and, you know, know what the breakdowns are for different um, races and ethnic groups and then say, does my representation match this? And if not, I mean, that's like a, that's a hard number that you could use for sure to say, yep. you know, okay, if I only have, <laughs> like if I've got 15 posters on my wall and they're all, you know, uh, old white men, founders of our country, quote unquote, founders of our country, um, what do I need to change? You know, okay, so how many women should I have on the wall? How many people of color should I have on the wall? I think that might be one way to go about it. That feels a little uh, checklisty to me. <laughs> sure. You know. No, I, yeah. that's that's the. I think that's the part of the balance we have yeah. to find with it is the the qualitative that side of it, which is going to be more of the observational and really thoughtful side of it. It's going to be is incredibly important. Yeah. But I also think that to help build the level of um, not only capacity understanding, but also level of buy-in from a lot of people, you're going to have to see, well, let's see what else we are. So w w when you were talking, what just yeah. popped into my head was something like, all right, well, let's look at our, all of our libraries are going to have a, a checklist yes. or list of yes. all of the books we have there. Yes. Well, do we have a list by how they, like their, 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 their gender, yep. how they identify, um, their racial or cultural backgrounds? Do we have that? because that might be something worth exploring. Yeah. So if we, if we find that, you know, our entire, or you're going like, an, if you have a literature class mm -hmm. and you're what reading like, you like Brit literature, uh -huh. okay, well, right away, that's gonna <laughs> probably raise some white flags. There might be some issues of not cultural diversity happening or not, yeah. not inclu inclusivity, not, right. not, there might be something there. So yeah. is, right. is all British literature I white mean, males? Right. Is it all, is it the authors? Like you could look at the authors, you could look at the, um, you know, the settings of book, the historical time period, you could look at the, the characters in the book, you could look at the, you know, the themes, like, oh yeah, you can come at literature from uh, so many different places. Um, and the same with, um, I mean, not a lot of schools are using textbooks anymore, but the same with- Which um, by the way, good for you. Yeah, I'll yeah. support that statement. Good for you. <laughs> Um, but any kind of informational texts being used can mm. also be examined along some of those same lines. I think it is important, though, um, to, to choose your focus, right? Choose what it is you're going to use, because you could use a lot of different things to examine, and then suddenly you're constantly examining and then not getting to the point of action, right? So pick something sure. and do it. Like, you don't have to do everything. One step is better than no steps. So, uh, you know, well, that gets into the, that gets into the final question, Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is, you know, all right, so let's say we've, 
we've gone and we've done these walkarounds, we've examined our libraries, we've examined our classrooms, and we have all this, all this data and information, both anecdotal and quantitative, and we have all this yeah. stuff here. What do we do now? And you're, and you're, I, I agree, think that one of the things we should do is start off small, start off with, one, with a focus yeah. and go from there. But what does that mean, go from there? I think maybe it means choosing, kind of like choosing the battles and in the order in which you're going to fight those battles. Um, because let's be real, uh, there are going to be battles in this work. Absolutely. Um, we've already seen some battles in this work here in the state of Maine. We sure have. And yeah. that won't be the last of them. Will not be the last of one. And they'll show up in unexpected places. So you may think, a district may think that starting with kind of like a library audit, like our first step is just to look at the kinds of books available to our students, mm -hmm. right? So do the audit and then decide um, what the action is going to be. Is it increasing the number of um, uh, black indigenous people of color authors? Is it increasing black indigenous people of color characters, right? Like choose one, increase it then. And so maybe you take three years and that sounds like a long time to me, but maybe you, you take some amount of time just focusing on developing the library. At some point, someone's going to get upset about this. Yep. At, at, you could absolutely get pushback because you're making the school library more culturally inclusive. So it can show up anywhere. Um, and so I think part of the what do we do is also having the plan for how to respond when these, when the pushback happens. Sure, ha having that plan is gonna be essential. So having, not, having very clear expectations, very clear goals and, and guiding principles for lack of yes. a better term. Yeah. Uh, co core values and beliefs. I, I think very firmly that um, this pandemic and these things that we're going through right now really are testing our, our wills. Oh, yeah. and are testing what we really believe. And I think that when you were to get to that point of we've examined it, but now we're looking to make it the real systemic changes in it, there will be pushback. Mm -hmm. And yeah. how do we, how do we continue to make, to make the progress if we don't have those core values and we don't have those beliefs say, nope, this is what we believe and we have yes. to move forward. And these, these are not movable. Right. Right. I think, yeah, I, I agree with you hundred percent that you have to have those, um, those core values and the district building school leadership needs to be firm in those values. Um, otherwise it's easy to fall back. Right. And, and cave to pressure. And cave to pressure. Yeah. Because if you, if you have the core values and beliefs, you can say, no, this is, this is, there are things worth fighting for. There are hills to die on and there are hills not to die on. Right. To what extent does, our, does our, my classroom, does my school, does my district, do I yeah. feel that this is a hill to die on? Mm -hmm. And especially at an individual level, but as soon as you're working your way up the system, yeah. um, those are incredibly challenging conversations to have. Mm -hmm. However, I think, I won't speak for you, but for, in my opinion, you won't be able to do any real systemic change without it. Agree. I do, I agree with that. Yeah. It's just, it'll, it'll just be lip service. Right. 
Um, and... So I want to throw out another resource. No, oh, go ahead. A, a resource that I think can really help with this um, for people to go, and this will be included in the MCLA toolkit, um, is Courageous Conversations About Race, a Field Guide for Achieving Equity in Schools. Um, and it's, uh, it's by uh, Glenn Singleton and Curtis Linton, and it's a really nice, um, a nice guide, that's why they called it that, <laughs> for, <laughs> for holding and managing these kinds of conversations. Um, so yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw that out there as another resource for people to go Great. to. Yeah. So, so when, what are we looking for? What questions should we be asking? Start with ourselves. Yep. Identify our privilege within, identify what we have, and then start backing that up further and further into this, the schools. How do we know when we have found it? There's this gut looking around saying, well, no, this doesn't feel right. There's something here, there's something here that doesn't make sense. I really liked or, what you said. There is clearly something missing. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's, there's a hole here. And we can do one of two things. We can fill the hole or we can ignore the hole. Exactly. And if we choose to ignore the hole, then I think that that's something that we have to own. We have chosen to ignore the hole. That's willful ignorance at that point. Because yes. once, you, once you see the problem, if you don't do anything about it, that's willful ignorance. Right. Um, and it's okay to not know what to do. That's, that's a different out. thing. That's when you reach out. Right. Not knowing what to do is different than saying, I don't know what to do. So I see the problem. Yeah. I'm just not going to do anything about it. Yeah. Right. So I want to share with you what the, what we have some, Kind of what the strand for anti-racism and cultural responsiveness is looking like this year mm -hmm. for MCLA. Uh, this one has not yet gotten underway. Many of our other strands, we've already launched professional learning, um, but this one is getting ready to launch and there'll be information coming out very soon about it. So there will be three individual webinars this year. They do build on each other, but you can experience them individually. Um, the first one is about um, building a picture of equity in Maine and focusing on equity audits. So that one will happen in the second half of November. Nice. Then in, um, I think it's January. In January, we'll have a second webinar. And these are all in conjunction with the um, Holocaust and Humane, Human Rights Center of Maine. Um, the second one will be continuing building a picture of equity in Maine, where we will have um, hearing the human perspective, experiences of Black, Indigenous, and people of color in the school system in Maine. So former students, possibly some current students, teachers, mm -hmm. education professionals will be a panel discussion. And then the final one is kind of like the last question we explored today. What do we do about it? So, you know, rebuilding a picture of equity in Maine, what do we do? Um, and that will examine, um, it'll examine resources, it'll examine processes for examining curriculum and lessons, and how do ways to take action based on what you've found. So, so that's exciting. That's really exciting that you're, that MCLA is doing a lot of those things, um, providing these opportunities and these strands for folks to actually do some really hard work and yeah. to provide those resources and just even not just resources, but places to come and think yeah. and, and a place to come and, uh, you know, 
problem solve it and to share ideas, but also to get, get an opportunities to see what are other folks doing? How might they do it? Because if there's yeah. one thing I think we all learned, no, we don't about educators for a long time, but was really highlighted when we all went out of in-person instruction in March and it's happening now mm -hmm. is that when we're provided with an opportunity, educators to like a challenge, we're going to Apollo 13 the heck out of it. <laughs> And it's going to work fantastic. And it's going to work really well. It's yeah. not going to be like ideal, but what we, would think, what we think was ideal. But the reality is we're going to take someone's idea and we're going to make it our own and we're going to make it and we're going to add a, tw add a twist to it to make it that much more appropriate for our situation, for our school, our classroom, our district, right. and that customization. Educators are so ingenuitive in that way that they see an idea that, oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. I don't like yeah. all of it because it's not going to apply here. But I, if I take, take out A, B, and C and I put in these new ABCs, then it will work perfectly. Yeah. And I think having that opportunity will be fantastic for our educators. Yeah. And if you are, if there are people out there who are interested in a more in-depth discussion and um, experience, starting in January, we'll have our long-term study group with um, Alvin Rosales. He is an educator out in San Francisco who is passionate about uh, cultural inclusiveness and responsiveness and anti-racism work. So he will be leading our long-term study group. That will be a four-month experience with him and I and me. And um, it will be based on a lot of different texts, a lot of discussions, and the focus is on understanding systemic racism in, in schools. So if people wanted to sign up for these webinars or get involved yeah. in this stuff. It's time for plugs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if people wanted to do any of that, get in contact with you, yeah, how might they do that? To, um, so our website, maincla.org. If you do mcla.org, it's going to bring you to an interesting Christian legal association. That's not us. We're maincla.org. Oh. Um, and on the professional learning page, you'll see some information about our strands and up in the menu, under professional learning, professional learning strands will bring you to the overview page where you can see everything and everything is linked, signups, dates. Um, not all the signups are open yet, but as much information as we have ready to go is there. You can follow us on Twitter at MainCLA and also on Facebook, MainCLA. It's good to be consistent. <laughs> It is. And that's something that we as here at Made Education Matters are, are, are we don't believe in consistency. <laughs> we believe in rampant inconsistencies and um, just, just, yeah, we don't believe, we don't really, really believe in anything, to be honest with you. Oh, that's not true. I think you have some core values and principles that you operate from. Oh, that's, that's true. As long as there's chips involved. Still pickle chips. Still, oh, well, does that need to be said at this point? Um, that and well, another one of our core principles is that we don't like to work. Okay. <laughs> That's a core principle. So if we can just like not prepare and do stuff and then, you know, whatever. Um, so Impro that's- you, you like to improvise. You're an improvisational. Not only that, worker. but <laughs> tell you that was, I don't know. Um, so uh, at main CLA on yep. both Facebook and Twitter. Yep. Consistency sake. Uh, maincla.org yeah go there for all of the professional learning opportunities and things and all the information and what we'll do is we'll make sure that um we share this stuff out too as it's coming around and uh, what i'd love to see if hopefully have you back and talk about how things are going 
That would be excellent. And do a, do a little update later on. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Courtney, thank you so very much. Uh, you can follow us online, uh, of course, too, at Maine Ed Matters on Twitter, Maine Education Matters on Facebook, or whatever. Just we're out there somewhere. If you Google us, you'll find us. That Google machine is great. Um, so thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Uh, so we probably don't want to say anything we just said about Matt on the recording, do we? No. All right, I'll make sure I press the recording uh, after we say all those things. Okay. Okay, good. Yep. You ready to go? I am.